Okay, guys, we are, we are in Lesson 5. We're going to talk about unfaithful Jews today. We're going to go with the third group now. What Paul has been doing, he made a general statement that all of humanity, in, in verse 18 of chapter 1, that all of humanity is condemned for its unrighteousness. And what he's been doing is, is rather than just making a general statement, he's going about proving it. He wants to prove to his readers that all of humanity is condemned. So he's breaking down humanity. So the first group he starts with is the most obvious group. He has the Gentiles and their behavior as being so ungodly that they're condemned because they've rejected the truth of God. Okay? And so everybody would look at that and say, yeah, yeah, I can see why they're condemned. Well, the next group he hit, which is the group we talked about last week, is the moralist. That's the guy who sits there and judges the first group and says, yeah, they deserve it. Well, the problem is we don't live up to our own standards, so therefore we're condemned. He's going to move now to a third group, which is the unfaithful Jews. Because the Jews, I'll just be flat out honest with you, even to this day, feel that their place in heaven is assured simply because they're what? Jews, okay? And simply because of their standing with God as being God's chosen people, because they keep the law. They have the law and they keep the law. And what Paul's going to do today is, is okay, and they would say, yeah, the moralist is condemned. And they would say the, uh, the, the Gentiles and their behavior are condemned. What Paul's going to say now is, no, you're condemned as well. Because you're not living up to what you believe. Okay? Now, let me just stop for a moment. So, so that we can find application with our lesson today, I want us to realize that, yeah, we're going to talk about unfaithful Jews, but there are some parallels. There's some parallels to a group of people within the Gentile folks. And that would be church people. Okay? Because the reality is, is that what he's going to talk about and what they boasted in, I've heard those same kind of boasts in church. Because here we are 2,000 years after the fact, and we can rest in, I was raised in church. You know, I've gone to church. I've got the Bible. You know, I don't do things. and I, You know, you can rest in your churchness. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? And, and the reality is, is he's going to show us, like he shows the Jews, you're condemned. You need Christ. It's not based upon what family you are, your heritage, or anything like that. It's purely based upon, have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Do, do you understand what I'm saying? Okay? So, I think this is really good for us to go through this. In fact, all of this has been good for us. Why? Because what we're studying in Romans is, is the reality of your salvation. And for you to understand completely the implications of your salvation, you've got to understand what you were saved from. Do you understand? If you, if you had no concept of what you're saved from, salvation means nothing. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about uh, the reality of that. Look with me. We're going to look, first of all, at their hypocrisy. So we're going to talk about the hypocrisy of the Jews. Okay, Look with me at verse 17 through verse 24. 
Here's what Paul says. Indeed, you are called a Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in God and know His will and approve the things that are excellent being instructed out of the law and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, teachers of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You preach that a man should not steal. Do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery. Do you commit adultery? You who abhorred idols, do you rob temples? You make your boast in the law. Do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. It is written. Wow. That's some pretty harsh words there, isn't it? Okay. So let's look at what he's saying. He's going to talk about the hypocrisy. Hey, and let's, and while we're at it, we must also talk about hypocrisy in church, right? Okay, because it's, I mean, a lot of the things he's talking about are things that we suffer from in church, okay? So let's talk about it here. First of all, he's going to talk about their confidence. Jews rested their identity in the law of Moses and their relationship with God. To understand a Jew, you've got to understand that they rest their whole identity ethnically, socially, uh, spiritually, in the law of Moses. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because that's where they find their roots and their relationship with God. They are God's chosen. Have you ever noticed when we talk about Jews, they always refer to themselves as his special people, the apple of his eye, God's chosen people. Okay, those are languages that come right out of the Old Testament. Okay? So they're boasting in their position here. So because... Because they had the law, they knew God's will and what was right. Because they had the law, the Jews knew God's will and they knew what was right. Now, just stop for a moment. Isn't that interesting? How many of you have read through the Old Testament? Just kind of, kind of have you read through the Old Testament? Maybe books of the, like some of the historical books? Okay. They had his law, they knew what was right, but man, what a sad history, isn't it? Because did they do what he told them to do? No. Holy cow, think of how many times he had to take them to the woodshed. Because they would do exactly the opposite. So let me just stop for a minute, there's a good principle there. Just simply because you have an understanding doesn't mean you're going to do right. Okay? You may want to write that one down. Just simply because you have an understanding of God's will doesn't mean you're going to do right. And, and sometimes we trick ourselves. As long as I teach my kids the right things, they're going to do right. Have you noticed that? We, 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 we developed that mentality. Here we have a group of people. They were taught. Did they do right? Okay? He's pointing out to them... 
he's stressing to these folks because they knew they knew God's will. They knew what was right. Here's here's the problem now. Because they had God's truth in the law, they saw themselves as teachers. Because they had God's truth in the law, they saw themselves as teachers. All right, let's stop for a moment. Let's let's bring it down to us. You think this is applicable to us? The church today in America? How? Where are you going with this, George? We'll see. Okay, so it's, it's people in church looking down on somebody else who's not in church, saying, I can't believe they're doing that, you know, okay? Anybody else? Okay, so you see people making ridiculous stands in the name of truth. They act like teachers, okay? Anybody else? You see it today. How is this applicable to us where we're at today in our, in our country with the church today? Because we've got to be careful. My reason for bringing this up is we've got to be careful, okay? And I'll tell you why we've got to be careful soon here, all right? What do you think? Yeah, they see the splinter in somebody else's eye, but they don't see the plank in their own. Hey, I remember, this is before I, this has been a long time ago. I don't even know if the guy's still on the radio. When Lori and I first got married, I used to listen to KDKA out of Pittsburgh, okay, and uh, on AM, and they had a guy on there in the morning, and I listened to him. His name was Mike Pintek, okay. Now, Mike was, I would say, an agnostic. He was raised Catholic, but was very much an agnostic. He was just one of these talk show guys, libertarian, okay, so whatever that means, that's somewhere in between, I guess, so... Uh, Believes you can smoke marijuana, but wants the death penalty. Okay, uh, so he got on there, and he was. There were some recent statistics that came out about divorce, what the national divorce rate was, and then what the divorce rate was among different denominations. And he just went off on the radio, and I'm listening to it. And, and, and his whole point was, look at these statistics. Because he was a divorce guy, okay? These are the people telling us how to live, and they're worse off than us. And I couldn't disagree with him. Did you understand what I'm saying? Because the divorce rate in the Christian church is just as equal as the divorce rate in the world, okay? Which is about 20-some percent, okay? So... Here's the point he was making is, we in the church, how can we, how can we be teachers to the rest of the world when we're doing the same thing? That's the point that Paul's making here. You know, we, we know what's right, we know, and then we want to be teachers to everybody else. See, this is why I think we've got to be careful in our culture. Right now, with the way our, as everybody recognize, our culture has shifted. It's not shifting, it has shifted. But we're always a day late, or a month late, or a couple years late. 
And we're reacting to that. Okay? And, and the problem is, is we're coming across like these moral teachers, but have you noticed that people look at how we live? Or look at the people in church and how they live, and, and they see that there's some, what? It's not all the way we say it is, right? Okay? So, th- because of their, because they had God's truth, they saw themselves as teachers. But here's the thing. They saw themselves as superior to everyone else because of their knowledge of truth. Now, that's the problem, isn't it? It's not so much that you understand truth. It's that you get to the place where you think you're superior to everybody else. And that's how they were coming across. We've got to be careful that we don't come across that way. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? We can't have this attitude of superiority. You know, we've we got to be able to be a church where anyone can come. Because do you think Jesus is concerned about everybody in our community? Even the people you don't like? Do you think he wants them saved? Now, if I come across with a haughty, superior attitude, what are my chances of reaching another person? Especially if I view myself as being above them. How likely am I going to reach them? Zero. Did you understand what I'm saying? Because I'm coming across with this moralistic superior attitude because I got the Bible. I go to church. Did you understand what I'm saying? We've got to be careful. Okay? We've got to be careful. It's one thing to communicate truth, but it's another thing to be reflective. Now, okay, it's one thing to communicate truth, but Paul's going to point out to you it's meaningless if you're doing it yourself. And that's what we're going to get to here. All right? So they saw themselves as superior to everyone else because of their knowledge of truth. Now, here's the problem, Paul says. Paul points out that they did not apply their own teaching to their own lives. They didn't apply their own teaching to their own lives. How many of you have seen that? Did you know what I'm saying? I've seen that. See, preachers do that. Do do, do you know what I'm saying? They didn't apply their own teaching to their own lives. It's one thing to stand on truth. But it requires humility. Did you understand what I'm saying? It, It requires... Yeah, go ahead, Tina. Okay. The difference between Okay. All right, well, let me, let me just stop for a moment. I'm going to delineate what you're saying from what I'm saying in this one way, okay? Did you notice Tina used a key word in what she was saying? She used the word struggle. Did everybody catch that? Okay, so I'm not going to take away from anything that Tina said because Tina's viewing it as her personal struggle versus 
communicating truth with what she knows because she's trying to deal with it on her own. Okay? Yes, I would agree with you. Now, what I'm talking about is something completely different. I'm talking about something completely different. Because what the Jew boasted in is that they, they were the Jews. They were God's chosen. They had the law. And, and they could teach others, but they just lived like everybody else and didn't care. You care when you talk about your struggle. When you talk about struggles, that language communicates you care about the way you're living and you want to do something about it. So, I mean, seriously, I, you know, I'm, I remember my early Christian life. This would be 28 years ago now. Okay, do you remember what happened? To, anybody remember big blow up in the Christian church 28 years ago? Anybody remember what it was? I hear somebody mumbling. Swaggart and who? First one before Swaggart. Baker. Okay. The dude with the hair. I don't think he has hair anymore, okay? So, okay. Especially Swaggart. Why? Because if there was somebody who was so adamant in his program about pornography and sexual sin, it was Jimmy Swaggart. And he was doing that himself. And that was a big blow-up. That was a huge blow-up in Christianity. That's when the church... Be- I mean, that's the first step to the church. If you could look back over history now, you could say, that's when we took a big hit, credibility-wise in the nation. Okay? What, 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 there are two different things. I'm, I'm talking about the guy, Tina. I'm not talking about the person who's struggling, who knows their struggles and whatever. They're trying to do something. That actually is proper. What we're talking about is when you sit there as the moral teacher, and but yet you live that way, and you don't care. You don't care. And, and we just had a blow up here in the last year, okay, in the last year of a major evangelical preacher. Now, you probably didn't hear this. I didn't mention this to you guys. But it was a big guy out in Seattle, had a big, huge church. And everything blew up. That church doesn't exist anymore. And the big problem with him was is he came across as the moral teacher in Seattle, Washington, which is liberal, okay? And he came across anti-this, anti-that, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Well, here it turns out he was a bully and had a foul mouth and treated the people who were, who were under him as garbage. Did you understand what I'm saying? It's so we, we come across like we're in control... This is, this is the condemnation. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is why we gotta be careful. This is why we gotta be careful. Remember, I said it takes humility. Remember what I said? If you're gonna communicate truth, it takes humility. What you're describing, Tina, is a humility. Okay. Too, yep. 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 And it depends. I think the key thing is whether or not it's a struggle to you, because there are some dudes. It ain't a struggle. It's just what they're doing. You viewed it as a struggle because you recognize it for what it is. Some dudes don't view it. They just do it. Did you know what I'm saying? But yeah, they'll be the first one to condemn it in you. And we've seen that in church, right? I mean, let's be honest. We've seen it in church. 
you know. Um, so he points out that they did not apply the teaching to their own lives. Now, here is the bottom line. I think we're here today, bro. Excuse me, broettes, all right. I think we're here today, all right. Because of their hypocrisy, that's what it is, because of their hypocrisy, the, the name of God is blasphemed among Gentiles. Wow, isn't that true to even today? When you've got that superiority attitude where you come across as the moral teacher teaching everybody else how they're to live, but you yourself are engaged in activities just as bad, and you don't care, and it's found out, guess who gets the bad rap? Yeah, God is blasphemed. So how many of you have heard people say, I have no interest in church. I have no interest in church because of this, because of this dude, because that guy over there goes there, and, and, and I worked with him, and, and you won't believe what he was like. And, and you know, and yeah, he's a family member, and I, you know, that's just, and you've heard the name of the Lord being blasphemed because of morally superior people. Because of their basing themselves on who they are as God. See, this is where the Jews were at. You know, the Jews, as God's chosen people, were supposed to be a blessing to the nations so that God's name would be lifted up among the nations. Well, actually, the exact opposite happened. God was blasphemed because of their behavior. Okay? God was blasphemed because of their behavior. He goes on, so there he's talking about their hypocrisy. Now look with me at verse 25 to 29. He's going to talk about their religious rituals, their, their rites. What they boasted in is their rituals. Okay? He's going to tell them where they're wrong here. Look with me at verse 25. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law, but if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore... If an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? Will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge those, even with your written code and circumcision, as a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Okay, so here we go. We're going to talk about the rituals. Trusting in rituals. Ritual has value if a person keeps the law. Otherwise, the ritual becomes meaningless. See, what they were trusting in was that they kept the law, specifically that the men were what? Circumcised. I mean, you want to show yourself to be a true Jew? You're circumcised. Period. Okay? So what he's saying here is, you know what? Ritual has value. If it's within the law. Otherwise, it's meaningless. Okay? So let's talk about our ritual. What are, what are rituals that we do? Going to church? Giving? What else? 
Once a quarter, we have a big table up here. All the, all the, all the leadership right here looking really good up here, you know, and we got, we have communion, right? That's a ritual, right? Okay. Right behind those panels there is a what? Baptismal. Okay. See, they're, they're okay within their proper what? Bounds. But if they're out of that, if you're using it for something other than what they're meant for, they become what? Meaningless. Okay? So he goes on. The Gentile who keeps the law is considered the same as the Jew who keeps the law. So here we go. We have a Gentile who's not circumcised. Paul's saying, if he does, if he lives a righteous life, he's just like the Jew who is circumcised, who does the law. You see the point he's making here? This is what Paul's saying. The man without the law who lives righteously, is just like the guy who is a Jew who's been circumcised. Okay? He goes on, Gentiles who keep the law will judge the Jew who does not, who has the law and does not keep it. So here's the, here's the Gent, he's saying the Gentile who lives righteously without the law, he will judge the Jew who has the law and doesn't keep it. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's the point. He's trying to show the Jew here. What's he doing? What's his line of argument here, George? He's trying to show the Jew, don't boast in you just having these rituals done. Because if you can't keep the law, the guy who's keeping the law without having it, he's going to judge you. Because you're showing yourself to be what? Condemned. That's the issue here. It's about condemnation. So, so being a true Jew is not a matter of the outward appearance of ritual. Being a true Jew is not a matter of the outward appearance of ritual. Okay, let's stop for a moment. Let's, let's bring it down to us. Being a Christian is not a matter of what? Ritual. Going to church, being baptized, making an offering, carrying a Bible... Did you understand what I'm saying? Taking part in communion. It, it, that's not what makes you a true Christian, right? What makes you a true Christian, folks? Salvation. Faith in Christ. Do you understand? Obedience. Yes. That's what makes you a true Christian. Alright? So they're trust in rituals. Now, a true Jew is one whose heart is changed by the Spirit and who is praised by God. How do you change your heart, folks? You can't change it. Who changes it? God, through salvation, right? Okay. So, let's talk now. We're going to finish up here with their unbelief. Look with me at verses 1 through 8. What advantage, so he's anticipating a question here from his readers. What advantage has a Jew, or of what profit is circumcision? Much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. For what if some do not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true and every man a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. But if our righteousness demonstrates, if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? I speak as a man. 
Certainly not. For then how will God judge the world? For if the truth of God has increased through my law lie to his glory, why am I still judged a sinner? And why not say, let us do evil that good may come? As we are slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, their condemnation is just. Okay, so what's he saying here? He's, he's dealing with a bunch of questions now. He's anticipating that his Jewish readers there who are boasting in their position as God's chosen people and keeping the law and being circumcised, he's anticipating a series of questions from them. So this is, a, this is a technique from the writer to want to make sure that they understand everything. So let's go through these questions. Here's the first question. Paul anticipated the question concerning whether there's an advantage to being a Jew. So if you're Jewish and you've been taught all this all along that you're God's chosen people and now you're listening to Paul, and you're kind of like, well, what's the use in being a what? A Jew. Isn't that right? Wouldn't that be a natural question after listening to Paul? Okay. So here's what Paul said. Paul affirms this by stating that God's word was committed to the Jews. Yeah, there's an advantage. There's still an advantage. The advantage is, is to, it was to the Jews that God committed his revelation of himself. Okay? Do you understand? God didn't give the revelation of himself to who? Gentiles. Do you understand what I'm saying? Folks, the book that you have that's the Bible is primarily a Jewish document. Do you understand? Even in the New Testament. Primarily a Jewish document. All right, so, yeah, he's saying, so the question is, what's the, what's the, what's the point of being a Jew? And Paul says, well, there is every point. You're the people that God committed God's word to. You're just not living up to it. He goes on with the second question. He anticipates the question... If the Jews' unbelief cancels the faithfulness of God. In fact, this is a struggle today even in the church. There are some people who think that God's done with Israel. Okay? We're the new Israel, the church is. Because God's done with Israel because they were unfaithful. And the, and the, and the Old Testament shows that they were unfaithful. Okay? Here's what the question is. The question is, does the unbelief of the Jews, particularly who do Jews not believe in, folks? Jesus. He's saying, does their unbelief cancel God's faithfulness to them? Does it? No, because God's faithfulness to them is not based on them, is it? Did you hear what I said? God's faithfulness to the Jews is not based on the Jews. Does everybody agree with that statement? You need to. Why, George? Because it translates, because God's the same for everybody, right? Translates to you. Is God's faithfulness to you and salvation based upon you? No. Is it? Better say no. Do you understand what I'm saying? You need to say no, because if you said it's based upon you, how many of you have had a perfect week this week? How about a perfect day so far? You have rest? Okay. <laughs> Mr. Sarcasm over here, okay? Aren't you glad? See, the, the answer to this question is, listen to the answer to this question is, you know, the Jews are saying, well, then obviously the, the unbelief of the Jews cancels the faithfulness of God. Here's what he responds. 
Paul affirms that this is not true since God is true even if men are liars. And men are liars, right? But God is still true. Here, you know what to me is the most beautiful picture of the covenant of God? Do you remember in Genesis? He tells Abraham to meet him and to take some certain animals and make a sacrifice and split them down the middle. And, and it was kind of like a path there where he was, it was right before the Abrahamic covenant is given. And they split these animals in half and he waits. And he, and he, and he sees God come to him as a smoking furnace, walking down through the midst of those animals. Okay? And he was establishing a covenant. Now, what, what does that picture mean? Well, here's what happened. In that culture, you need to understand, you know, when you make, a, make an agreement with somebody, you go to a lawyer, you have the lawyer draw up papers and you sign it, right? You take it to the courthouse and you file it, all right? They didn't do that back then. Here's what they did. They would, uh, they would be a covenant by blood. They would take animals, slice them in half, and so you'd have one half over here, and it'd kind of like make a corridor. And then the one guy who was entering into the agreement would be on this side, and the other guy would be on this side, and the two of them would walk through the midst of those animals to the middle, and then one would take off his sandal, and the other one would take off his sandal, and they would swap sandals. And they would enter into an agreement. It was a covenant. Now when you look at Abraham's covenant with God, he's got the same thing going on. Who walks down the middle? God. Does Abraham? No, because God establishes his covenants based on him, not upon you. You may want to write that down. God establishes his covenants based on him, not on you. Isn't that awesome that his salvation covenant with you, the new covenant Jesus called it, is based upon him, not on you. This is the point Paul's trying to make to these folks here. He's trying to say to them that God is still going to be faithful, period, even if we're unfaithful, if the Jews are unfaithful. He's still going to be faithful to them. All right, let's go on. He anticipates another question here. He anticipates a question whether God is unjust in punishment. Man, we hear that all the time. Your God's a mean God, sending people to hell. What kind of God? That's not a God of love who would send people to hell. He must be unjust. Have you heard that? Okay. Have you heard that? Here's how he responds. Paul affirms that if, it, if this is true, then God could not judge the world. See, if God is unjust, then he can't even judge the, judge the world. See, God is just. He is perfect justice, perfect love, perfect holiness. There is no sin in him. And of all the people in the world to judge, it's God, right? You know, we've, we've got some fine elected of people, elected officials who are judges in our community, right? We do, okay? But are they 100% accurate on all their decisions? I mean, the, the statement is true. You go to court, everybody loses, right? Okay, all right? That is not the way it is with the Lord, because the Lord is not subject to that. He, do you understand? He is just. And when he executes judgment... It is a just judgment. Nobody's going to be able to make an excuse. There is no court of appeals because he's it. 
So what Paul's saying here, by making that statement that he's unjust, if he's unjust, he can't judge. He's, if he's unjust, he can't judge. He goes on, he anticipates the question concerning the truthfulness of God being amplified by sin. So what he's saying here is, there may be somebody who's saying, well, this is true, then maybe we just need to keep on sinning so we can show that God's truth is real. That's a ridiculous argument, isn't it? But he's anticipating people having that thought. So here's his response. If that's true, how could God judge the sins of men? If if sin amplifies truth, if, if sin shows forth the glory of God, how can God judge us then? Because we're, we're doing him a favor, right? Because God wants to bring glory to himself, so he's showing how ridiculous that is. You can't, he can't be the judge then. He can't be the judge then. So what does he do? Paul does not answer the, this argument, but simply states that they're what? Their condemnation is just. When you get to the point where you're acting that way and saying, well, hey, my bad behavior is just showing how good God is. Paul says you're at the point where it's just simply this. Your condemnation is just. A, a, a better way of saying the way we would say it here in Kermit, you're getting what you deserve. Isn't that what we would say? Boy, he's getting what he deserves. That's the point. Okay, now, we're done. Next week, next time we get into this, we're going to look at why all of humanity, because maybe, you know, we've got all of these groups, and you could sit there and say, well, you know, hey, hey, George, I don't fit into any of those groups yet, because <laughs> I'm in my own category, and I'm doing okay. Well, he's going to wrap it up and tell us why everybody now, period, is condemned. 